Welcome back to Podcast Recovery, everyone. We're your hosts, David O. And Eric V. Today we are joined by our special guest, Nancy. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. Doing pretty well. Um, where are you from? I am from California, Southern California, a city called Rancho Cucamonga. Oh, wow. So our friend Kim, who was on the podcast, lived and grew up right near there. Did she? Yes. Oh, yeah. In in same same Rancho Cucamonga. I'm. I mean, unless there's multiple in California. <laughs> there probably is not. I mean, we're outside of L.A. We're outside of Orange County. We are outside of uh, Palm Springs. If those are some of the, uh, you know, Big Bear, Mount Baldy, some of those areas are all real close to where I am. Forty five minutes every which way. Yeah. L.A. in that area. She lives. So right. yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it, and Las Vegas is three hours away, so I, I'm in a good place. Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. All right. Uh, well, when were you first introduced to recovery, Nancy? Well, I was introduced in a way that I was uh, I had gotten a degree in psychology in the '90s, and I went into a, a recovery. Uh, well, it was actually a, a, a psych hospital, and they opened what they called a chemical dependency unit on the other side and that was my first introduction because they invited me over to work in that unit. Um, it was branched off of Loma Linda University which if you know that about that that's in Loma Linda, California. It's a very well-known teaching university. Uh, it's a, uh, a teaching school. It's a, uh, it's a hospital and university. And so I, that's the first introduction I had mm-hmm. um, as far as anyone being an addict around me and or an alcoholic around me that my whole life I saw things like that but that was my first introduction to actually oh there really is a thing you know and and I worked in it versus being put into a recovery system okay all right well uh with all that out of the way we're going to turn it over to you to share your uh story with us so take it away I'm going to start at um when I met my husband um, it was in the early 80s. Um, I met him through a boyfriend, and uh, when I met him, he was uh, drinking and drugging, and he was a firefighter. And mm-hmm. I left the situation just, just thinking, wow, that, I'd never met a firefighter before. There'd never been one in my, my family's life. Um, I, I knew nothing about firefighting other than that they were supposed to be these heroes. Yeah. And I was there disillusioned. I, I thought how sad it was to see that this, that he was quite the drunk and um, it was his day off granted, but mm-hmm. <laughs> and he, you know, using drugs and the drug at that time was cocaine. Mm-hmm. And so I left and, and cut to the next couple of years. Um, I ran into him a few times and in those times he absolutely reeked of alcohol um, he would come up to me and embrace me and kind of give me an inappropriate hug and acted like we were best friends, really, or we'd known each other forever, and we didn't know each other. Mm-hmm. So, I, again, I was kind of like, oh, this guy, red flags everywhere. I'm thinking, oh, he just needs to get away from me. Yeah. And very cute, of course, you know, firefighter, all, you know, all muscles <laughs> in play and, and big body, big dimples, big mustache, just the cutest guy in the whole world. <laughs> but I did not like what... I felt when I was around him, so mm. I should have stayed away, but I didn't. Um, a couple of years went by, I ran into him again, um, and I was passing through a bar area of a restaurant, and he hollered out my name, and I stopped and uh, had a drink with him and, and talked to him for a few minutes. And again, he was very drunk, and, um, and I didn't know at the time also that he was high. So um, he took... I gave him my phone number, which probably was one of the bigger mistakes in my life. But then again, live and learn. Yep. And, um, <laughs> you know, that, that feeling like, well, why am I giving him my phone number? And I did. <laughs> so uh, we, di- we didn't start dating. That was in July, and we didn't start dating until uh, October. It took him forever to make the call and leave a phone number to reach him at. And it was... It, like he wouldn't leave, he'd leave messages and wouldn't leave a phone number to call him back, which again was another red flag because I thought, why is he not leaving his number? Yeah. And it, 
it turned out that he kind of had stuff going on and he wasn't real sure about me in particular, mm. um, that I would be the person that should come into his life. So uh, we started the date in October. We were married by March of the first of the year, uh, and it was five months. At three months when he asked me to marry him, I said, no, I don't think so, because I'd seen some red flags with the drinking, and um, again, I did not know about the drugs, but mm -hmm. I knew the drinking was bad. It was like times that I took him to my parents' house and F-bombs around the whole room, and he, mm -hmm. was, he was drinking with my dad who thought he was wonderful, which I'm like, okay, you know, Nancy scored because she's got a firefighter in the house, and I, I didn't think much of it. My father was pretty impressed by it. Mm -hmm. And, they, you know, they had gin and tonics and, and laughed, and then pretty soon my soon-to-be husband is dropping F-bombs everywhere. My parents weren't the type. I'll drop the F-bombs, but not in front of my parents. Yeah. So it was just, I was mortified. So when he asked me to marry him about three months in, I said no, and I told him why, and he looked like he was going to cry, and he said, well, I'll stop. Well, of course. That was another red flag. Uh -huh. They usually don't stop, but I said, oh, you will, you know, excited that he would stop drinking, and proceeded with the marriage. Well, he did fairly well for about 15 years, mm -hmm. believe it or not, of our marriage. Um, I think when my back was turned, he may have drank, he may have drugged, I don't know, but he never was fall down. He never showed any symptoms. He, he um, uh, worked his way up to a captain at the fire department. He was doing very well. Nice. Well, we all know without recovery, there's triggers, and, and, and with recovery, there's triggers. Mm -hmm. But he never went into any kind of recovery program. He just was like, I'll quit. Mm -hmm. I don't need to drink. So, and, and you know, I, I guess I thought, well, he loves me that much. That's kind of cool. But after five months, does somebody love you that much? I don't know. You know, it was back when I, I, I just fell for it, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> um, and, and really... After many, many years, I don't doubt that he, that he did. That really was the truth. I, I think he really did love me because at the very end, he, he, he told me how much he loved me. Mm -hmm. So, and always, so I don't think that that really was the issue. So 15 years in, um, we've, we definitely have communication and some intimacy things going on in our relationship. But for the most part, you know, we have a daughter. Um, I have a son that I'm raising, so, um, and they're 12 years apart, so he's ra helping me raise my son. And um, the trigger was a, another firefighter overdosed. He was his best friend. Mm. He drove for him. He was an engineer for him. And he overdosed on Vicodin at the time, and this was in the uh, uh, almost 2000, 1999, 2000. Um, he, uh, when he overdosed, uh, Vicodin was the only opioid that, that you saw around. There was mm -hmm. some, but you didn't see all these other ones they have now. Yeah. But, um, y you know, he, the, the biggest problem was that my husband knew he was abusing. He mm. knew he'd sent him home sick from the fire station several times, and he covered for him, and he kept thinking he'll get better. I don't want to get him fired. Well, yeah. better was that he, so he was, he was devastated. And even with a degree in psychology and everything that my background, I tried to talk to him. Um, I had worked in substance abuse, so I knew about it. Mm -hmm. Within probably a couple of weeks, I smelled liquor on him after his, his friend and, and our uh, firefighter comrade were had died. Um, I smelled liquor on him. Within a couple of weeks after that, I started to smell that pungent smell of crystal meth. Oh, wow. The, yeah, yeah. So, and then I started to see a rash around his face. So I, but I, at the time I still was like, there's no way. You know, of course he explained everything away. He'd been eating salsa. He, he, that was the smell I smelled. The other smell or the marks around his face, the rash was from shaving. You know, it wasn't any of the things that I thought. Yeah. So within about six months, he drove the fire truck at a 
0.17 drunk. Whoa. And, um, yeah. <laughs> and he had to have been high on crystal meth, but I didn't know that at the time uh-huh. until I put it about two years down the road, I started to put together the, the crystal meth use, knowing mm-hmm. he was drinking and, and disappearing a lot. He didn't get fired, but he got put on a, uh, where they uh, randomly tested him. Mm-hmm. They told him to go to things. They, they monitored him. They made him get therapy. They did not fire him, but they didn't really help him. They didn't yeah. put him into any recovery. They just kind of put a Band-Aid on it. Good old boy. You'll get through this. You're a captain. You know, you should be able to handle this. Well, oh. I'm at home saying pretty much nothing mm-hmm. because that's, I get... I get quiet, if you know what I mean. That, yeah. that just were, I have nothing to say. I, I had nothing to say. Yeah. And I was, if I did speak, it wouldn't have been real pretty, if you know what I mean. Yeah. It might have been, or I would have clobbered him. I wasn't sure. So it was just best to just remain quiet. My daughter was 14 at the time. It was her first realization that her dad was definitely an alcoholic. And, and a few years later, she found out about the crystal meth and was devastated, of course. Um, so the year after that was pretty good, except because he was being randomly tested and he was scared. Mm-hmm. Um, then after that, the testing stopped. It went full, I mean, bad mm-hmm. to where he'd lost weight. He was turning gray. He was saying strange things. I mean, he... I don't know how much crystal meth he was using, but it was a lot. Yeah. And, and it was the point that uh, he, they retired him out on an injury, thank God, or he would, uh, they would have tested him and he would have gotten fired. Mm-hmm. But they did retire him out about six months before um, a five-year mark of this, no, a four-year mark of him using. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that, at that point, a few months after he retired, I filed for divorce. Mm-hmm. And I was not happy. I he was doing all kinds of strange things, like climbing on the roof when he'd come back to the house, and he was saying weird things, leaving weird messages. And I could tell that the crystal meth was he'd lost probably at that point easily forty pounds. He was a skeleton. Um, you know, at this point, that many years you. Um, the, the statistics supposedly on crystal meth are five to seven years. Mm-hmm. Uh, are going to either you either quit or you're going to die. Yeah, it, it's not one that you get to just keep using and using. Mm-hmm. Um, although he did, <laughs> which was another rarity. But um, so four years into our divorce, I had only seen him pretty much um, in court, yeah. and he always looked really bad. And, and something would happen. We, we, it went on for five years. At the four-year mark, he called me, and I couldn't figure out really why he was calling me. Wait, the divorce we went on, on for five years? It did. Wow. Yes. It, yeah, it was, it was nuts. There was things to be divided, but it was an easy... I mean, we could get it divided, and we could move on, mm-hmm. but every... He'd throw boulders in front of it, and I think most of it was thinking through drugs and thinking through, you mm-hmm. know, he what he didn't want divorce. He couldn't understand why I was divorcing him. Which, yeah. I mean, clearly there was a reason why I was divorcing him. Mm-hmm. I pretty much, yeah. I mean, you know, four years of it, I was done. So, um, and I and he wasn't getting help. So, you know, I would have helped him, but he wasn't getting help. So. Four years he calls me, and uh, within a, two days of talking to him, he gets a little mouthy with me, and so and I told him, go to a meeting or, you know, do what you got to do, but, and he was, th- he was saying he was going to kill himself, and I said, you know, don't do that. Just keep in contact with me. I'll, I'm be, I'll be your lifeline. Just call me if you're ever feeling that bad, but, you know, get to some meetings, do what you got to do. Um, go and get into recovery whatever way you need, mm-hmm. um, and again, not him any advice. Um, but, but basically saying, you know, find your way, find your way out of this mess. Well, I didn't know at the time that he'd gotten busted. I didn't know that he'd gotten a DUI, he'd gotten a possession of controlled substance, which was Mm. crystal meth, possibly a couple of times. Um, he was in the courts 
in San Bernardino County, which is the county I live in, and in Orange County. Mm-hmm. So he's in trouble a little bit. <laughs> and he didn't want to talk about it. So yeah. when he started to get with me and probably withdrawing a little bit, he started, I, I said, well, you know, call me back when you can, you know, talk to me with respect. I'm not going to talk to you when you talk to me that way. So a year went by. He doesn't talk to me. And I'm like, well, I guess he's okay. You know, I mean, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I can't think about that. So a year goes by. He calls me again. Now we're at the five-year mark of our divorce. And he says he just wants to die. I spent hours on the phone with him. What's wrong? What happened? And he won't tell me. So about three days goes by. And, and he sounds better. Mm-hmm. But at that time, I don't know that he's been on probation and being tested again. Uh. So he's kind of done his own self-recovery. Yeah. You know, he's just maybe quit and he's starting to put some weight back on but I don't know that because I'm only talking to him over the phone when I see him a few days later I see that he looks much better mm-hmm. so he calls me three days later he kind of goes you know into hiding again but then he comes back out three days later and he says sit down um, I gotta tell you something and I'm thinking oh, God please you know like what's he gonna tell me so he tells me that he had bought a lottery ticket and um, he gave it to our daughter who was estranged from me at the time but had tried to repair her relationship with her father. He gives the lottery ticket to her and she goes on a, a California State Lottery TV show and with the ticket wins over $5 million. What? Yeah, yeah. So she's supposed to split it with him. Well, the reason he's calling me is because she's kicked him to the curb, as he said. And she, he's not getting his half. She's taken off. Well, long, I'm going to keep that story really short because there's a reason I'm telling you this part of the story is that I knew when this happened because we ended up in a courtroom, a civil case uh, against her, and he, he ultimately won, but... The attorneys won most of it, but the bottom line is, is that I knew when that happened, the betrayal of his daughter, I knew he was, that trying to get this man clean and sober was going to be nearly impossible. He was broken. He, he was one of those that had numbed the pain over from a bad childhood. And that's why he liked drugs, Mm. liked the numbness. He liked liquor. He liked alcohol to numb and drugs to make him feel better. So he was in a, a place that was probably one of the, in my experience, is one of the most difficult places. And the betrayal added to it. So we cut to, he gets off of probation, we're in the courtroom, and so once he's off probation, he's not being tested anymore, and I start to see the signs again. And he's going down the road bad again. We are not living together, we haven't been living together uh, for many years, and um, and that divorce and all that stuff going on, I was still living in our house, um, and I watched while we're going in and out of a courtroom, and while um, it, even when it ended, because the court took uh, three years, I think, um, so which it was a long, drawn out situation, and um, he, I'm watching him, you know, spiraling. Mm-hmm. I'm watching him to lose weight and his teeth and um, now it's 2013 and I send him to and I pretty much said the same thing I said to him at when he asked me to marry him at three months you either quit or I'm done here mm-hmm. you've got to get you've got to get into recovery you've got to do something so I sent him out to this place out in Calabasas mm-hmm. and um, it was uh he lasted nine days. It was this beautiful home, and it was the place to send an addict, supposedly. Well, it turned out it wasn't quite that great. Um, he didn't like it, and it turned out that the man that was running the place is now sitting in a, in a jail uh, huh. being prosecuted. Yeah. Um, write this name down, Christopher Batham. And if you ever want me to tell the story, I'll come back and tell you the story of Christopher Batham. 
B-A-T-H-U-M. Um, and he... Eric is jotting that down for sure. <laughs> you guys look up. There was a 2020 in 2000, uh, August of 2016. It's an hour 2020 uh, ABC um, that did a, a thing on him. And then there's a couple other news things that did stuff on him. But um, he... 1.7 million... 70, one point, no, $176 million he ripped off the uh, insurance companies for uh, and a fraud in his rehabs. And wow. um, he did it in, yeah, in about three years. By 2013, 2016, they hooked him up. So, and I don't know this, right? I just know at the time when I put my husband there, I was pissed because I'm like, you know, he didn't stay in, in, he took off for weeks and weeks, he disappeared, um, and, and went on a major binge. When I found him, he was just like bug-eyed. I, 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 I was just blown away how bad he looked. Yeah. And I, he's not going to live. Well, that was in 2013. He, by 2015, two years later, he's really looking bad. He's starting to fall. He's starting to, um, uh, he's, he's got what happens with crystal meth is, and if you go 16 years, which is what he did, he went 16 years using it uh, and on and off, but mostly on, you know, because there was a couple of times where, you know, he had to quit because of the fire department. He had to quit because of, um, being on probation, mm-hmm. but pretty much all in 16 years of just killing himself. Yeah. And they get, they, their brain damage is turns into what I saw as a dementia mm-hmm. and he, he, he couldn't remember things. He thought he had Alzheimer's. I go, yeah, he clearly did not. Yeah. He'd been in and out of therapy. He, he tried, he tried to stop and he'd start again, you know, and he'd say, no, I haven't used it in two weeks, but I remember two days prior he was, you know, using, you could tell because I saw all the signs mm-hmm. and he, he wasn't, living with me. I refused to even get into a relationship with him again. I just was there for support, trying to help him. And I am, another thing that happened during the the court situation is that we dismissed the divorce because it was such a mess. We dismissed the divorce, so now I'm legally married to him. And when he passed away from drug addiction in 2016, um, which was a four months, four months in a skilled nursing hospital. Um, he was in a diaper. He could not eat. He could not walk. Um, he had to be fed. And if he did try to eat, he spilled everything on himself. Um, most of the time he had a very dazed look in his face. Um, we, I brought him into hospice after four months in the skilled nursing, brought him home, and he died 30 days later. So... Uh-huh. And he died peacefully, you know, at the, at, during, it wasn't like, um, oh, well, he was on morphine. He was probably happier than hell. I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> I used to pat him on the head the last few weeks. I'd pat him on the head and I'd say, my little addict, here you go. Here's some morphine. And he'd just look at me like, because, you know, that, that was another one of his drugs that he loved was uh, he had bottles of hydro and bottles of uh some other one, Norcos, which I think Hydro and Norco are the same thing, yeah. but they're an opiate. Mm-hmm. And um, so he if, he, if he could put a drug in his body, crystal meth he loved. Liquor, oh, he, alcoholism, yeah, he liked liquor, but he really liked crystal meth. And, um, and opiates, eh, they were kind of in the category of alcohol. They're more of a downer for him. So he, he liked to be up and happy and and numbing the pain, although crystal meth doesn't make it that happy necessarily. It just kind of brings you out of a, a depression maybe. I don't know. I, I, I feel he was clinically depressed all those years mm. from a, a bad childhood and so forth. So um, anyway, uh, I don't, there's, there's about, I, I wrote a thousand pages. This is my disclosure. I wrote a thousand pages in my book that has not been published, but is about this whole story, and um, it is 300 pages. So it goes 
if I wrote a thousand, you can only imagine the stories that I have that yeah. came from all of this. Yeah. You know, it definitely took its, um, thank God I, I was, was, um, uh, educated, experienced. I'd worked with through the years. I, I kind of threw myself into that because mm-hmm. I thought, well, that, what else can I really do, you know, but just get out there and, and try to learn as much as I can about addiction. Mm-hmm. I'm now an alcohol and counselor. I'm a, uh, I'm studying for um, coaching and, you know, recovery coaching and uh, family recovery coaching and intervention. So a lot of things I'm doing more along with the writing and all these other things. So I'm kind of involved at my level that I can be and um, always ready to tell this story and always ready to tell the Christopher Batham story. So, and I have to kind of separate them because uh, my first book doesn't really talk much about Christopher Batham. It just talks about the, you know, uh, the whole lottery thing and that he doesn't, that ultimately in the end he does, uh, through this horrible process of addiction and, um, and betrayal from his daughter, he ends up dead. Mm. Is that kind of wraps that story up, huh? Yeah. Well, wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, well, we have questions. You start, mm-hmm. Eric. I start? You start. Okay. All right. I gotta, I'm, I'm still wrapping uh, my um, head around this. So we'll start back at the yeah. beginning. And, uh, you know, kind of when you first met your um, husband. And I guess there's a, there's a movie... It's actually one of my favorite movies um, about recovery called Thanks for Sharing. It's specifically about essay. Um, but it has this, it has like a line in the middle of it where one of the characters who isn't an ad, like who's not in recovery, but is married to an alcoholic and a sex addict asks like another character who's dating someone, um, but they're not in recovery. You know, like, I guess, why do you believe you were attracted to your husband? Um, you know, besides the obvious, you know, like physical attraction and, you know, personality, but was there anything that you saw where, you know, maybe looking back, like, were signs of, like, why you might have been attracted to an addict? You know, that's a very good question. Um, and, and God only knows, I was married to him when he died 31 years, and he died three years ago. So, and I knew him two years before that. So we're talking of long period of time. I sound really old, don't I? <laughs> I start adding that up. I'm, I'm, I'm old enough to probably be your grandma. But um, the, the, I think, honestly, I tended to pick men that, 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 that adored me, which, but I could maybe fix them okay. or maybe help them. And I, I hate to admit that I don't do it now. Mm-hmm. I, I have my lesson. I run. If somebody blinks wrong, I'm gone. There, I'm out. And so, uh, and, and the poor people that, you know, would like to take me out to dinner, dear God, they're like, I, what did I do wrong? Are you wrong. We're done here. So, yeah. you know, I, I just, I think, I would like to say that it, it has to do with some family thing or something, but mm-hmm. my parents were lovely. Um, they were cocktails. They, you know, we, I grew up in the 60s and, and you know, uh, 70s, and my parents definitely had cocktails every night, but that no fall-down drunk alcoholism. A few yeah. alcoholics scattered you heard about. Um, drug addiction was unheard of back when I was growing up. So I... I think, in all honesty, of when I thought about if would I have stayed with him had he not asked me to marry him at three months and married him at five months? Um, no, I would not have. So even and I was in my I was in my late twenties at that time. I would not. I would have figured it out. Yeah, he was on very good behavior. <laughs> so, so I, I think if, if in a few more months, if I had gone probably. Six or seven months, I might have put, put, put it together. We got married in Hawaii, and I told him when we got to Hawaii I wasn't going to marry him. And he, oh, he was like, what? <laughs> you know, we can't go back not married. Yeah, yeah we can. <laughs> so, we really can. Yeah. 
but so, I don't I don't know what he said to the talk yeah. me into it, but so I have a que- I have a follow up question to that though. So okay. you mentioned that you wanted to fix him. Um, yeah. So would you consider yourself codependent? Well, you know, and, and that that I'm not a very good codependent. Put it that way. Um, one problem that happens with codependency is that when somebody has their own money and their own means, it's pretty hard to stop them. If it's a kid or whatever, you can you can not be codependent. I mean, you can be codependent if you're helping them continue to use or they're helping them in some way, whether it's monetarily or keeping a roof over their head. Uh, When you're with someone who's married, you're married to them, it's hard to be codependent. And even when I wasn't with him, he had his own uh, money. I couldn't stop him. So Mm -hmm. I think... Tennessee has some fine lines where uh, people feel bad. Oh, my God, I'm a codependent. And then they realize that there really was nothing they could do. Um, Mm -hmm. You just try to do the best you can to not enable them any further. And and I did that. Mm -hmm. Once he started the four years, I was devastated that he was doing what he was doing. all those years I was falling out of love with him, so that helped. It helped me not feel quite as devastated, but um, it was, I think more than anything, it was the hardest thing in the world to watch. Yeah. To watch this fire. And, to, and yeah, he had some things when I first met him that I thought, oh, I can be, and I didn't even have a degree in psychology back then, so it wasn't like I you know, could be his psychologist, his private psychologist. It was more like, you know, I, I felt for him. Mm. I've always felt for firefighters anyway because I think they have a really rough job. So I felt for him, and and yet I looked up to him for what he did. So mm. I don't know whether any of that made any sense. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I, it makes sense. I, 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 get the, um, I get where you went with kind of like... Because, I mean, he kind of fixed himself, right? And then... Well... Well, for a little while, yeah, right, yeah. I mean, yeah. oh, he did wonderful. He he was he he worked. He was a really hard worker, and um, he he gave his daughter anything she could possibly want, including a lottery ticket. Um, you know, <laughs> so I mean, we we lived lovely. I live in a beautiful home. I you know I had anything I possibly could want monetarily, and that's the way he gave. That's it was like, and he didn't want me to overlook anything because for 15 years there was nothing to overlook, yeah. except that he didn't skate real well. He wasn't very, the intimacy was not real good. But as far as being a bad behaving, you know, fall down, drunk, addict, whatever, he was doing none of that in, in 15 years. Mm-hmm. Like I said, unless it was back and, and it couldn't have been for very long. Because, yeah. you know, I mean, it, it, it was what it was as far as being good. And that's why it's so important to know that you can go 15 years with or without recovery and in a program and a, and a trigger. And it was a big trigger. It was yeah. huge. Yeah, for sure. And my, co- my, my question actually leads straight – you led me straight to my question. Um, so, like, after that big trigger and he started using again um, – you kind of talked about, like, on your side, a little bit of, like, denial in the early stages of his using. Um, like, just, um, I just want to, like, pull on that yarn a little bit and, like, describe that denial and, like, how it was trying to, like, rationalize this new behavior that he hadn't exhibited in 15 years. <laughs> oh, God, that. That's such a, and, and, and the emotions during that time, mm-hmm. that is the great, that is the question that I think we all look back. It's a hindsight thing. Um, I just couldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. In fact, the first person told me he was using, as he termed it, street drugs, was an intuitive. My, uh, I have an intuitive that I go to a psychic. And, and he says to me, you know, the guy's using street drugs and, and pretty heavy. Hmm. And he goes, I think it's crystal meth. And I'm like, oh, are you kidding? He's a firefighter. This guy's not going to use crystal meth. He uh-huh. might be drinking again. I, I smell the liquor on him. I think he's drinking again. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's, it's 
salsa hot sauce or something. I don't know. He he had a reason for everything. He even said that it was uh, the smell I smelled was a sweet smell. Uh, he's diabetic. His sugar must have been up or something. And I'm like, oh man, this guy. So I heard everything. He oh, had yeah. every reason. You know, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not going to yell and scream about this. I'm not going to um, get into it with him. When I, the way I found out in all my denial is he got, he rode Harleys and he got on a Harley one day and left his truck out in the driveway. So I thought, click, and I opened it and I, I went in there and I started kind of poking around because mm-hmm. I suspected a lot. Yeah. And a few years down the road, and I thought, and probably my intuitive had told me that he's using street drugs. So whatever, I was pretty suspicious at this point. And I'm thinking, oh, my God. And I get in there and I find all these little jewelry Ziplocs empty uh-huh. of, uh, that the mask comes in. And um, a bunch of them, all tucked in between business cards and the console. And, they're there. and I'm like, why would you keep empty ones? There was nothing in any of them. Yeah. Well, of course, he told me he was holding those for a friend, and he was. I said, "Why are you holding empty Ziploc for?" Yeah, yeah. You know? When he got busted, he was holding for a friend. It wasn't his drugs. Even even that far down the road. Oh, yeah, those weren't my drugs. Yeah, it's never your <laughs> drugs. It's always somebody else's. <laughs> and and nobody. And I don't know how I got that drunk. Someone poured it down me. You know. I mean, I. You can't even. The excuses. You know how it is. Yeah. So and I. I, but he, when he told me that, um, I, I, I met him on the side of the house when I found all of those, and, and he was walking through the gate because he would disappear for days and days. Now, mm-hmm. if I disappeared for days, and days, the marriage would be over, but I was supposed to accept this behavior, and quite frankly, I was kind of at the point where I just was like, oh, my God, I, don't, I just got to survive this, mm-hmm. and maybe he'll disappear, and if he doesn't, I'm going to leave. And so he's walking in, and I said, it's crystal meth, isn't it? And he just kept walking, turned his back on me. And I thought, I said, it's crystal meth, isn't it? And he still just kept walking. And I, of course, then I'm calling him every name in the book, you son of a bitch, you fucker, you blah, blah, blah. And, and I'm thinking, go in the house, Nancy, because the neighbors are now listening to this. Yeah. <laughs> this is just so un. So he stayed outside. It took him a long time to come in. He stayed outside playing with the dogs and kind of like doing a little hand watering. And finally he walked in and now my daughter's downstairs and um, it was not pretty. It was uh, shortly after that. uh, It didn't take long. I I had hired an attorney and I was leaving. Mm -hmm. Um, So, or he was leaving. (laughs) He left, I stayed. So, but... I don't think he cared. I think that crystal meth takes the spirit from you in such a way. It, it is, it's gotta be the nastiest, dirtiest drug out there. Um, and people might say, no, there's worse. I don't know. I think it's the worst from yeah. my experience with, from working with addicts. It is a nasty, nasty drug and it takes you down fast. Mm-hmm. It, it, it doesn't care. It's the devil's drug. So, um, yeah. Mm. <laughs> so, so that's what happened. Yeah. All right. All right. So, um, the next question, this will probably be like a few part question. Um, but when it pertains to, so the first part is, um, which we, we've kind of heard from your side about this, but you, you also have a, a daughter and a son, right? Yes. And I was, I'm wondering, you know, I mean, divorce is one, is like, you know, something that happens fairly normal and that, that affects children in a number of different ways. But how did the addiction, once it kind of like came to the light, how, how did that affect your children? Well, my son was older and gone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so he is going to be 45. So at that time he, and he has had at the time that this was all going on, he was married with children. And my daughter was four, between 14 and 18 is the years that she saw this stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Um, angry at me, very angry at me. Um, in fact, that's why we were estranged at the time that um, he gave her the lottery ticket. 
um, because she was she left angry. She stayed about three three and a half years after he left, and um, she. I'm not sure. I don't think she was angry at me because of the addiction, but and what he was doing. I I think she was. I kind of interpreted it as that she was angry that I chose him. Does that make sense? Yeah. You chose that person to be my dad. Why did you do that? And it, it nope. sounds really juvenile. It sounds really immature, but that's the thinking of a person who what they and they blame the other person many times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or the act. Why did you choose him? Why is that my father? Why is he the way he is? Why didn't you fix this? And I, we are on incredible terms now. Um, when he was dying, she came to see him, and they were not speaking. After the court and everything that happened, they were not, she wasn't speaking to either of us by that point. And um, we're on very good terms now. Um, in fact, I'm going to see her in a couple of weeks. She's in Scottsdale. So, um, yeah, that's kind of what it felt like, that um, she... She couldn't, he wasn't close enough to lash out at, and I was the closest person, so she she let me have it. Yeah. And it was devastating. How do I explain it? How do I explain and try to teach her about addiction? I think that's the most important thing, that when, you, when this does happen, everybody's got to learn about it. They can't just, well, okay, and you're talking about movies. In A Star Is Born, the newest one, and when the dad to Gaga says, what the fuck is wrong with you when he's dragging him out of the, have you seen the movie? He's dragging them out of, out of the awards and he's peed himself and it's just like he's just embarrassed uh, his daughter. And he says, what the fuck is wrong with you? That's, that's not knowing anything about addiction. Yeah, yeah. That, that sums that up, that, actually. Yeah, it really, that really sums yeah. up. Like, not knowing about addiction is what what is wrong with you. Yeah. Yeah. No clue. I've if had a lot of people that say that to me. So <laughs> <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard this before. <laughs> At what point, though? Yeah. Wow. Several I mean, points, probably. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of points. Yeah, there's a lot of points. But if you think about that, how many people say that? I said it at one point, knowing as much as I know, I know a lot more now, but, and they're highly studied and all this stuff now, but I didn't at that time know very much. Mm -hmm. I kind of, you know, the early stuff, if you want to talk, you know, the nineties and, and into the two thousands when I was working with adolescents and, and, um, in, I was a case manager. So I, I heard everything. I've heard every story imaginable, Mm -hmm. but I, I remember thinking when he first started, what the fuck is wrong with you? Why would you throw all this away? Why are you doing this? And people still say it to me to this day. When they've got an addict son or an addict daughter or an addict husband or an addict wife and they're, or even a cousin, mm-hmm. what the fuck's wrong with him? They're losing everything. Mm. Oh, they don't get it. Yeah. They don't understand addiction they don't understand why a person would give it all up for a drug Mm. wow all right uh that brings me to my next question um when you kind of separated yourself and distanced yourself from him um and like weren't talking to him for years like in your story you were like at one point, it had been like a year since you talked to him, and you were like, "I guess he's okay." Um, <laughs> what can you? Was there? I mean, I'm sure there was, but like, can you describe any level of guilt that went in with that? Just like, it, it, I don't know if it was maybe necessarily guilt or like a feeling of like helplessness of like, what could you do? Yeah. Or, like, if you could have done more, like, just describe that whole thought process and emotional process. Uh, all the time. You go, it's a roller coaster. Um, and even in the last three years, if I talk to someone about it, which I don't, I will speak to groups, but to family and friends, I talk very little about this. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure exactly why, except that I don't want to go through. I don't want 
that. I, I don't know what my reason is. It's, I'll think about it and I'll tell you the reason. But when you're talking about the guilt and the helplessness and hopelessness and, oh, my God, I could have done more. Mm-hmm. He's been gone three years and it still comes into my head. What if I done this? Or what if I done? What if I? Yes, you, you dump it on yourself because you think that maybe there was a chance. Yeah. There and maybe there was, but is it my fault? I did everything, and and the friends that were close to kind of saw some of this go on. Said they can't believe how much I did to try to save this man from his demons and save him from addiction and and get him back on his feet again. I think the worst part is, is that he did get back on his feet a couple of times, and it looked good when when he drove the fire truck and he had a year to get it together and then he screwed that up and then he gets put on probation for a year and he's and but he goes right back it's almost like being in rehab and you, you know, i mean i worked with some guys up at um it's a place up in a azusa canyon which you probably never heard of that but it's in california mm-hmm. it's way up in the canyon and they're mostly um they would have served three years in um uh, a prison or jail mm-hmm. and they serve a year at this camp type atmosphere and it's a recovery center and it is um, for nonviolent drug, uh, you know, so it's, the program is completely run, um, you know, around drug addiction and mm-hmm. alcoholism. And uh, the majority of them told me, as I worked up there just a year or so ago back, the majority of them said, well, I'm going to go back to the streets and I'm going to go back to crystal meth. And I'm, most of them with crystal meth that they really, really liked, um, on the streets at least. Yeah. Um, some heroin, but, but crystal meth is pretty easy to get on the streets and, and get pretty high. Yeah, that so, seems to be um, the case in Southern California. It's kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, people think they're all up there shooting heroin on the streets. And it's, it's I think, I don't know the exact statistics, but from what I saw... So, but they all say they're going to go back. Have, uh, any year, I'll get out of here. I'll mine my P's and Q's in here, but I'm going straight back to the street, and I'm going straight back to crystal meth. I'm going to use. Mm. Well, I think maybe that was what my husband thought, or maybe that's, maybe he thought he would get through it. Yeah. I don't know. You know? Well, all it takes is one time to start up again. You know, maybe went a few days after he got better. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and got to a point. But a year is a long time to yeah. just start using that next day. And both of them were a year. Hmm. Interesting. All right. What else you got, Eric? Um, so this will be my last question. Uh, so I guess this is kind of like, this is kind of a few-part question. So... You're, you were technically still married to your husband, so you never got the divorce, right? Correct. But I'm assuming that you did go through, I guess, a grieving process for the relationship during that process. Mm. Um, so I, I guess, how has your grieving process gone from, I mean, I guess the, the evolution of the relationship and then also the loss of the relationship. Like, how how did you process that grief, and in which you know what 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 helped you to cope with this? I I think it's a good question because it's there there are several because of the uh, the way that it all happened, and I had many years to not have that relationship as. I was more um, somebody who was supportive and his tried to be, I hate to use the term friend because I wasn't his friend. I was a person that cared, a person that was willing to help him, support him, do just about anything to get him back to um, a clean and sober person again and and a normal person again, a society person again, not this person that he was. Um, And so... Back, I, I had 12 years prior to his death. Yes, I had 12 years of, of knowing that that was not my man anymore. That was not my person. That was not my husband. That was not my um, relationship person. Um, so I think I had 
processed most of that, um, not with therapy or anything, just kind of processed it as it came, that that's not the place we were in. When he died, um, it felt more like I now had to process the loss of that person, whatever place we were in, which one of the places we were in was obviously that I was his caregiver. I was his confidant. I was his person that, you know, um, it was very difficult mm. um, because I cared and I loved him, but I couldn't save him. Mm. And I still, like the question that you asked before, I still, I still have get in my head and do the mind fucking that people do uh, over and over again. You know, like what could I have done? Yeah. Um, it's, it's been a process. I mean, I'm, I'm three years in and I think the two year mark hit the worst when uh, we scattered his ashes on uh, the first year. So I had something to do that year on that date. Uh, the last two years have been um, where the date hit, and I was just like, oh, this is not fun. Mm-hmm. I lay low on that, on that day mm-hmm. because I, you get that, this really bad feeling of you could have done something. Why didn't you do more? And, you know, and, and of course, it, it, as much as I know, I beat myself up. Yeah. yeah. I think I explained that kind of what it, what it feels like. It's, it's not fun. Yeah. No, yeah, of course. Um, all right, my question is kind of, my last question is kind of along that same line. Um, really, like, throughout your story um, and, like, this whole question and answer process, like, the thing that's really come to mind for me is kind of, like, looking at my own addiction through, like, my mother's eyes. Like, while you were talking, like, I kind of got, like, a feel of, like, that motherly feel from that. Um, cause, yeah. cause I had no concept of everything like she had to, had to witness and like how she had to deal with it. And like in through recovery, she's been able to tell me like there were like years where I didn't talk to her, where she just had to like text my little sister every once in a while just to know that I was alive. Um, so can you describe like the feelings of what it's like to watch a person just deteriorate as a result of drugs over just a long period of time. I, I figured one comment is I figured that my story will be helpful for the addict, for mm-hmm. the person that as doesn't know what it feels like to be on this side of it. Absolutely. Um, it's, uh, and I, and that's what I pray for from here forward is that every time I tell this story, um, I can only, the word that comes to mind, it's torture. Mm. It's torture in many ways. It's torture emotionally because you just are beyond the point of saving the person or helping the person or even getting them to do what they really need to do to stop because you don't really know how they're going to stop. Because most of the time, people have to figure it out on their own. What is it? They don't, it's this bottom thing. Of, it, you know, and it, my husband hit bottom, rock bottom a million times. It didn't, that didn't help. It, um, you know, and, and saying, oh, he's got to do it on his own. He's got to do it. He's got to do it when he's ready. I don't really necessarily believe that that's the truth either. Because mm. do you need push to shove to get ready? Do you need to do it for someone else until your self-esteem and you start to feel better about yourself? Then you go, okay, I'll do it. I won't do it for my uh, kids anymore. I won't do it for my mother anymore. I now feel good about myself to do it for me. So my husband never came out of that to a point where he had any kind of self-esteem, any kind of self-loathing. He hated himself. Why was he going to get clean with that, with that feelings inside of you, are you going to get clean and sober? Probably not. But you might do it for someone else until you start to feel better. And yeah. that is, is the, my message. My message is right there. You've got to do it for someone, maybe in the beginning. I don't care if it's your dog, your pet dog. Yeah. Do it for someone else. And then as you come out of the fog of the drugs and the, and the uh, you know, you start to feel better physically and mentally, 
you be, you might be able to turn and be in, in rehab still and say, I'm going to do this for me. Now I feel better. Mm. Until you feel better, you aren't going to do it for you. And I knew that. I knew, like I said in the very beginning, I knew he was not. I, 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 there was nothing I could do. And it is a very, very helpless feeling. Um, and it's torture to watch. Torture to watch. Yeah. It's, mm. it's, it's, a, it's devastating. Yeah. Mm. All right. I, I, I got nothing yeah. else, Eric. Well, we, we have the Twitter question. Oh, you have the Twitter question? Yeah. Good. Yeah. That was, a, by the way, that was a fantastic answer. That was absolutely yes. perfect. And I've met a lot of people who have not, you know, who, I mean, they don't get clean for themselves to begin with, mm-hmm. right? So, like, the second time I ever got clean, I didn't get clean for me. I got clean for someone else. And, I mean, yeah, I, I relapsed. But I was clean for 14 months, um, and I got clean for someone else. I've met people who got clean for their wives or their kids or, you know, I, I don't think the concept, and I see that on you know, in the recovery community a little bit more, not not so much in the fellowship community, but the recovery community where bottom isn't necessarily what you have to hit in order to get better. Hmm. And I, I think that's kind exactly. of a good message, right? Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Did I, I, or let me tell you what I think. I, um, you probably would have relapsed either way. Mm-hmm. It, it didn't make any difference. The relapse was going to happen. I don't believe that relapse is part of recovery. I don't think that that's what, is that that's, wow, that's a bummer to say, oh, well, you know, you'll be in recovery, but you're probably going to relapse. Well, that's stupid. But the thing is, is that, that is if you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can read the statistics if you really want to, but I'm not going to tell you what what's going to happen because I don't know. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is that, the chances after you said fourteen months, you uh, were probably going to relapse. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. So now I don't know that my husband ever had any time that he could actually had days or times or whatever. I, mm-hmm. I don't think he ever kept. He was always just waiting until he was going to relapse again. Mm. So and it could be a, it could be a month. That's a fucked it up way depends. to live. Like I can't imagine it is that. Very- I can't imagine that in my mind. It's like, oh, I'm just waiting for my next relapse. Like, Jesus, God. Oh. No faith in him. Yeah. Like, no. What? Yeah. yeah. Oh. So, I, yeah, I, I, it was not. I actually wanted to answer that a little bit too, Eric. Like, um, yeah, when I got clean, I got clean to uh, stay out of jail, essentially. Like, I didn't have to go. It wasn't like, oh, go to jail or go to rehab. It was you're on probation in two separate states, and if you don't stay clean, you're gonna you're gonna end end up like the next like f- three to five years in jail. So like initially, it started to stay out of fucking jail, but like now, like throughout the six plus years of my recovery, it's developed to the process where I stay clean for. Not only myself, but for everybody. Like, I stay clean so my mom doesn't have to look at me through those eyes. So I can see my niece and nephews um, and, and watch them grow up. So I'm not like a disappointment to my sister or my my friends, my uh, fiancé, like all this. I, I, I stay clean for the world because I think it's, it's just a betterment of – for it's just a better for everybody if I stay clean, including myself. And I've I've developed that love for myself and for everybody else to be able to take care of myself on a day to day basis and love myself and want to participate in life instead of killing myself slowly. And it was a process to get there. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, it's been a process. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, it doesn't. Go ahead. I just said it doesn't start in one day. Oh no! no. God no! Nope. Um, um, I mentioned to you um, how old he was when he died, um, and it may sound really old to you um, because you guys are young, and but he was sixty-five, and he had put in thirty years as a firefighter. Mm. And um, those those numbers, to me, are tragic. Yeah. Just, 
because he he was otherwise pretty healthy. Yeah. So actually, I think you are actually like the same age as my mom. Because if you're around the same age as him, my mom is 68. So. Yeah. I'm actually a little younger because he was a little older than me. I'm 64. I was born in 55. Okay. Yeah. My mom was 51. So yeah, right around the same age. So cool. The motherly feels are real. <laughs> <laughs> All right. To the Twitter oh, question. My, really my story is one of those that you could you're like hearing your mom talking. <laughs> <laughs> that exact that's how it's been for the last hour. It's been crazy. So yeah. this next question is from a Twitter person and it's just kind of a general discussion. Um so this is actually from the last person we recorded. I don't know if the podcast has come out yet since we record these way in advance. But um this is from Brandon D. Uh, who was also a firefighter, or is a firefighter. Whoa. And um, his his question or topic is, and, you know, you're kind of talking about, you know, kind of what you're doing now. What is the value of, you know, service and carrying a message to people and doing, you know, service or community work um, for recovery? And, you know, what is the value of that? Um... I think that for me, I don't want my firefighter, my husband, my hero to go down as just the way it went down. And if I, I know he would want me to help other people. I know he would want me to be um, of service to as many people as possible that were. It, so as that happened, it became a, a, a passion for me. Um, because I already had a lot of, of knowledge and a lot of schooling and a lot of experience. So I thought, this is, this is crazy. And I suddenly was just in this direction in the last couple of years of, you know, finishing some schooling and finishing and continuing some schooling. Um, so that, that's probably what it is. I, I think I did it for him originally, did it to, to um, honor him. And now I'm finding that it's very healing. It helps me very, you know, inside and out. And then um, I don't think that, I think we, we've got our hands full, though. I don't think that, I mean, I, I, we're, we're putting a little dent in a big, big, big situation. Yeah. Um, but, you know, every dent's going to help. Yeah. That's the, and you got to get, you can't keep having dr- people come on. Go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. I cut you off a little bit there. Yeah, you can't cut down on a, a tree in one swipe, so hopefully every little bit exactly. helps. But um, what you just said, like sort of like doing it for him, um, we kind of like talked a lot about like the bad parts of like what happened with him. Um, so, so I, I want to end on a happy note. I really do. So um, I want to know like – um, tell me what kind of person we lost to, to drugs. Like who, like what were those really great qualities about him that were just lost because of the meth and the alcohol? Oh, wow. That's a big question because he was loved by everybody. Um, it shocked most people to know that he'd gone down this road. In fact, most people thought I was lying. I've been called a liar. Mm. Okay, why would you make something like that up, Nancy? I'm like, oh, wow. You <laughs> because he really had a personality that was big. It was, he wasn't loud, but he had this quietness. He had a sense of humor that was, that was incredibly funny um, to where I, I laughed all the time around him. Yeah. Um, he was uh, he loved to help people and was, was a hero in, in helping. He loved his job. He uh, was really, really good at it, really good at it. I mean, one of those firefighters that you just kind of went, wow. I mean, would he, you hear about the firefighters that run into burning buildings? This man ran into burning buildings and didn't bat an eye. Um, he was my hero at home, you know. He was one of those. His daughter just worshipped the ground he walked on. And... Um, he just was, I took care of certain things, but mm-hmm. when he was here, 
he took care of things. So he was, we had a good marriage in that way, that, you know, we worked very well together. But yeah, he was a really, it was, it's a huge loss. Because yeah. right now he would be still making people laugh. And, um, and he, I think somewhere along the line he, didn't, he realized that he didn't need drugs or alcohol to make people laugh and to, to help people. Mm-hmm. He needed to not have those be the real person that he was. So um, it's a huge loss. You know, unbelievably. All right. Fantastic. I'm, I'm glad I asked that. I'm glad I thought of that. All right. Well, um, we are about out of time, but we're going to give you one more quick minute to uh, talk to the people out there listening who are struggling through addiction or anybody who's listening uh, with a loved one struggling from addiction. What do you have to say to those people to really pull them through and give them a little bit of, like that shot of hope. Oh, that's a loaded question. Um, I think I y- you take it a day at a time, but you but each day can seem like a, a, a long, long time. And I would say, don't give up. Mm-hmm. Don't give up on on them. And try everything um, without being an enabler, without being codependent, try everything, mm-hmm. assist them, support them, um, but in a positive way, not in a way that, you know, assist them to continue to use. Um, find the best, if you can, place for them to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, recovery, that might not be easy, but don't give up. Because there are some good places there, um, and uh, I, you know, I don't, I don't know that everybody's story is the same. So you have to just take it a step at a time and try not to, to, uh, um, well, I don't know, try not to scream and yell because sometimes that comes out. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it doesn't do any good, but. I tried not to, but the times that I did, wow, what a mess. <laughs> but um, I think I think that would be it. That's what I would say is just everybody's situation. Don't be afraid to reach out to, to uh, people that know a lot about it from from therapists to recovery people to, you know, uh, counseling, mm-hmm. anything that you can reach that would and help yourself. So that you can help them build yourself up so that you can help them mm. because if you're if you're getting knocked down with it you know it's kind of like that person falling down and grabbing each person along the way with them that's what yeah. the addict is doing they're pulling it, it, you, you down with them so you have to stand strong oh, perfect great answer all right nancy well we would like to uh thank you for joining us today we can give you a call thank you absolutely this was awesome. All right. Well, uh, um, we're going to do our little outro here and then call it a day. Uh, here at Podcast Recovery, we are aiming to expand the scope of support for recovering addicts. Accessibility and convenience of helpful services is paramount to combating addiction. We work to bring the message of recovery to every addict, wherever and whenever it is needed. We believe that a powerful voice of recovery should be obtainable, practical, and at the touch of a button. Every addict deserves to hear a message of hope, and Podcast Recovery is here to provide it. All right. Again, thank you, Nancy. Keep listening in. Follow us on Twitter. Everybody follow us on Facebook. Like, share, subscribe. Check out our new Instagram that Eric is working so hard on. And uh, most importantly, everybody out there, stay safe and stay clean.